Hello and welcome to the Citizen Femme Podcast, the show where we learn about the journeys of 12 inspiring women. In this episode, we are talking to the brilliant Anne-Marie Curtis of L of Wallpaper and now Calendar Magazine. Welcome, Anne-Marie. It is an absolute pleasure to have you with us. I will allow you to introduce yourself, please. Lovely. Thanks, Sheena. I'm Anne-Marie Curtis, and I'm founder and editor-in-chief of the calendar magazine, The Sustainable Glossy. So I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning, Anne-Marie. Tell me, from the beginning, when you were a child, what did you dream of becoming? You know, I think that that's such an interesting question, looking back, isn't it? Because I think when you look back, you then realise you can see yourself much more clearly as a child, I suppose, and see where it all started. But really, as a child, I did have a very, very vivid imagination, for sure. Um, And I was definitely more on the creative side. But more, you know, I just loved reading was my big thing. You know, once I learned to read, that was it. I loved being able to escape into books and imagine myself in these books. But a parallel to that, I was also really interested in clothes from a really young age, not so much in fashion, because I didn't really know about fashion. You know, I didn't really have those references in my family, but certainly in terms of me really looking at how people dressed and being very aware of what I was wearing. That I remember being from a very, very young age, you know, sort of noticing details on things and wanting to dress myself up in a certain way. So I suppose those were the two things that that drove me as a child, definitely. So this love uh, of this industry started from the very early days? It, it did. But again, as I was saying, I didn't really know what, what fashion was then as such. And I certainly didn't know there was a fashion industry. I think it was more just this deep interest, really, in, in how people wore things and really noticing things. And really, it wasn't, I suppose till I went to a rather strict convent school aged 11 that I suddenly became obsessed with sort of customising my uniform. You know, it's a very, very strict uniform code. Anything I could do to make myself stand out or look different became really, really important to me. So then I think that's probably when the real interest in fashion as such started, certainly as a teenager. Brilliant. Is this something that you went on to study then at university? Well, well, that was all rather convoluted, as the best journeys are, I think, because I, I, I sort of really wasn't sure what I wanted to do at school. You know, I loved, I loved English, I loved languages, and I loved, um, you know, sort of history, actually. They were the only things that I was really good at, and art, I suppose. But I definitely thought I would do something to do with, you know, my love of English. And I had a vague idea I wanted to be a journalist. Um But then I bought my first issue of Vogue. I think I was about 15. And that was really what changed everything for me because I just remember so clearly opening the pages and just sort of seeing this incredible world and these incredible images, an amazing shoot I remember so well with Grace Coddington. And it kind of blew my mind, actually. And I think that's when I started connecting it to something I could possibly do as a job and before I think it'd be more of an interesting close so I had been planning to study English at university that was my vague plan I guess and that sort of all went out the window aged 15 16 I suddenly became very interested in making my own clothes in in going out a lot and seeing other people really dressed up you know and and that I think then 
drove my decision to to study fashion instead and I actually ended up studying fashion design at, at Nottingham which was then called Trent um, um, and um, design wasn't really actually what what drove me I realized once I once I sort of got into the course it was the idea of the image making and the storytelling elements of it were really what fascinated me still so I suppose then I realised I wanted to go into the world of magazines. So when you're a teenager, it's so difficult to figure out what you want to study. So it's really fantastic that you kind of go, yes, I love this. And this is what fascinates me. And this is what interests me. And then you're able to take that path and start that journey. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that was it was definitely, you know, I feel very lucky that I discovered at that age that was something I was very passionate about. So you went to Nottingham University, 1985, which was your first year. It's also the year that LUK first launched, which I think is just phenomenal timing. And that year, I think I read that you bought your first issue of L, the magazine that you then went on to become editor-in-chief of. Yes, I did. And I remember it so clearly. Um, as I said, you know, I've been avidly buying Vogue since I bought that first issue, aged 15. Um and, you know, I knew L was coming out. You know, there was quite a lot of buzz around the fact that, that L was launching in the UK. And I just remember so well going out and buying the issue with Yasmin the Bond on the cover. And just, uh, I just felt I could really relate to it, I suppose. I think the thing with Vogue for me, you know, I adored it and the images, everything about it. But it felt like a very rarefied world in a way, I suppose. It didn't necessarily feel I was in that world. It felt more as if I was observing that world. Whereas with Elle, I just felt I'm an Elle girl. This is me, you know, the way they presented the models, the the joy, the kind of almost irreverence to everything about the magazine and the, the way they styled the fashion, I felt was something very relatable and just spoke to me, I suppose. It just, I felt like I was part of it. And so, yes, I think it was, for me, that was, you know, I never, I then ever dreamt, I suppose, I would be the editor, but certainly I felt I'd found a publication and a world that I really wanted to be part of and could imagine myself in, as I think a lot of the readers did. You know, I think there was something about it that was both aspirational but also very inclusive and very, very joyful. And I think for me... Joyful is a word, a really important word, actually. I think it's always defined um, how I see fashion. I think fashion should be something that's joyful and uplifting and inspiring and um, that you can be part of. You know, for me, that's always been very important. So you then ended up working at Elle as an intern in the early 90s. Did you beeline for the publication? Is that something that you had your heart set on? Yes. I mean, I think, gosh, I think I wrote to them quite a few times in my last year at college to try and, try and get a placement. And actually, I'd done a placement at um, Whistles, which was then run the store Whistles. There was only one at the time in St. Christopher's Place, which was founded by this incredible woman, Lucy Lewin. And um, it was the brilliant PR there, Kim Blake, put me in touch with um, Kim Hunt, who was one of the fashion editors at L then. And got me a placement when I finished college. And my God, it just blew my mind. It was just amazing to be in the room with all these people that I've been sort of fascinated with and, you know, studied over the years, studied on the masthead, studied their work. It was incredible just to be in it and experience it. Um, and I learned just such a lot, even in the few weeks that I was there. 
Do you remember what some of your general responsibilities were when you were working in the, in the as an intern? Sure. So 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 yeah. I you know I got this month's placement at L, and really it, it just blew my mind. Just being in the room with these incredible women and editors that I'd studied from afar, you know, quite obsessively and studied their work and you know looked at every single sheet these editors done read everything Sally Brampton had ever written so to suddenly be in a space where I was with these women in itself just felt incredible but I got also you know a lot of responsibility really because then you know that the teams weren't huge so I think when you went in as as work experience you you got to do the stuff you know so I ended up actually assisting on shoots which was an incredible experience but the one shoot I think I sitted on about three different shoots in the time I was there but the one I really remember was with an editor Liz Fremantle who's actually now a very successful novelist but at the time was an editor on Elle and um, she um, you know she said you know I want you to help me on this shoot it's about pashminas and I was thinking oh gosh actually I didn't really know what a pashmina was. I'd vaguely heard of them. And I thought, right, I've got to find out what this pashmina thing is, you know. And, of course, you couldn't Google it then. So I made some appointments to go to see some PRs. And I remember asking the first PR, you know, we're doing this pashmina shoot, but I don't really know what they are. And she was very kind and sort of explained it all to me. And then I went off and sort of pulled loads of pashminas from different PRs around London. But that sort of shows how green I was, really. But I think also the fact that, you know, any job, you just got to use your um, common sense, really, and instead of think, I've got to find this out for myself. You know, it was a very good lesson in being, um, in in sort of, you know, being independent, I suppose, and and making things work. You know, but it was it was an amazing experience. That's brilliant. What a lovely first interesting story to get stuck into, and then you just take the initiative and figure out what it is exactly. and get stuck in. Exactly. Tell tell me about your time working with Wallpaper Magazine. You were working with Tyler Brule, and you were there for seven years in the capacity of fashion director. I was. I was. I was actually a founding member of of Wallpaper Magazine, and that really was such an incredible, life defining experience. I I went from L for my placement at L onto a magazine called Sky Magazine which was a brilliant grounding in, in everything because I was writing there, I was styling, and I stayed there for about six years in the end, became fashion director there. And Tyler was a, a friend of mine, you know, he was just someone I'd met socially, and he um, said, you know, I've had this idea for a magazine, you know, it's sort of fashion and interiors and lifestyle and entertaining, you know, all, all you know, all in one package. And I want to call it Wallpaper Magazine, and I was like... Oh, sounds interesting. I didn't quite understand what it would be or what it would look like, but I thought, you know what, I'm going to take a chance on this. It's time I do something different, and I I felt like I needed to spread my wings, and it ended up being an extraordinary experience because it it just it just exploded wallpaper. Even you know the first issue, which we did on an absolute shoestring, you know, out of Tyler's front room, um, ended up. I guess just hitting the zeitgeist, being out at the right moment, a, a really brilliant idea as well. And um, within a year, we were bought by Time Inc. And that was it, really. The next six years were an absolute whirlwind of, I mean, I, God, I was hardly ever home. And there was so much travel because it, a lot of it was to do with, it was very global in its outlook, which was very different to 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 lots of other 
British publications that had a very international outlook. So we could end up shooting, God, you know, in Manila or, or Tel Aviv. Or I went to so many extraordinary places. But I think aside from the incredible experiences of visiting these places, it was also the education that I got in interiors, in entertaining, you know, they had incredible editors over the whole magazine and incredible contributors. So for me, it was an extraordinary education as well. And, you know, of course, it was the mid 90s. So things were very different then, you know, budgets were fairly limitless. Because, you know, you, you often be up paging your issue in order to fit in all the advertising, a very, very different time to now, I would say. So I feel so lucky at that point in my career to have had that experience it was it was really really amazing you talk about it being a really different time from now which of course it is what do you think are the biggest differences what makes it so different from I guess launching a publication back then and running it to now oh I think I mean I just I think it's so different I'm not my number one digital obviously I think we were on email at the magazine you know but that was about it you know just sort of the idea of of digital overtaking print you, you couldn't even really imagine that happening you know and also I think you know ad budgets were just huge then you know it was the it was the the age of you know luxury fashion really becoming something much more mainstream so all these brands were putting huge budgets behind you know Tom Ford at Gucci or you know Prada or all of them had an enormous amount of money to spend and magazines were where they went and where they wanted to showcase their products. So I think that, that was probably the, the biggest difference that really print them was the absolute the media that, that um, fashion brands wanted to be in, which is quite different from today, obviously, where there's so many different ways that brands can tell their stories not just in print so I guess we, you know there was less competition I suppose yeah absolutely you then returned to LUK what made you do that and did you find any massive differences from when you were there before a decade before oh gosh it was longer than a decade actually it was, it was probably gosh about 12 years I think um maybe a bit maybe a bit longer but um I, you know, it was quite a surprise ending up back at L again because I suppose I'd gone down this route of, of wallpaper, which was a very different beast and a very different kind of publication. Um, then I had a little bit of time off um, with my second child. Didn't end up going back to wallpaper because they had a big change of team and, and everything had changed. And then I, I um I did some consulting with Buddy and then a friend of mine phoned up and said, Oh, you know, there's a there's a new editor at L, they're looking for a fashion director, why don't you go for it? And I thought, gosh, I hadn't hadn't really looked at L actually very much over those past few years. Um I thought, why not? And, you know, the brief was to really make it fashion again and make it cool and make it relevant. So it was, it was such an exciting brief and you know, I got the job and it was it was an amazing team actually and pretty much everyone on the team was new and it just had that sense almost of of a startup or something you know it was a really great energy and um I had a brilliant time I mean we we the whole magazine was redesigned and everything about it felt new and it was an amazing god I was fashion director for 12 years in the end there and I absolutely did not think I would stay that long but it was an incredible incredible place to be and just create these amazing stories Lorraine was a fantastic editor um 
And so there we were, yes, a magazine that I'd bought the first issue ended up being fashion director for 12 years. But it didn't stop there. <laughs> it didn't stop there. It didn't stop there. You then became editor-in-chief. That's phenomenal. What did that feel like? Um, again, gosh, it, was, it wasn't particularly planned. I was very, very happy being a fashion director. Um, the job came up. Obviously, it hadn't been on the market, as it were, for the 12 years that I'd been there. Um, and, you know, a few people said, well, are you going to apply for it? And I thought, well, you know, I'm, I'm sort of more of an image maker in a way, more of an editor. And up till then, you know, the last few editors had been very much features driven. And I thought, mm, well, I'm, you know, I, I can do features, but it's not necessarily my, my, my sort of first discipline. But then I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to, tell them how I think it should be and create a deck or whatever, what I thought it should look like. And, you know, it was a very long process. I was by no means the only, only candidate. And, um, you know, it took a while. But I guess the longer I went through that process, the more I realised, A, I had a really strong vision of what I thought L could be. And also, I guess, that I could do it, you know, and, you know, really, really wanted it. And then I got it. And, of course, that was brilliant. It was around the same time that... Edward Enninfall was appointed to British Vogue. So it felt like a very new time in magazines then. But there was a lot of new blood coming in, new ideas, and it, it was really exciting. It was great to be given that opportunity. So being at the helm of such a great publication, what do you think goes into making a great magazine? I think that's such a good question. I think um, you definitely have to have a vision. You have to have a really strong idea of what the voice is, what you're trying to say, and make that feel really unique. But I think even more important than that is you need a really good team around you. You need everyone to be on the same page as you, and you need to all be moving in the same direction. But really, I think in any any position, I truly believe you're, you are only as good as your team. So I had an incredible team around me. And everyone was full of enthusiasm and ideas. And it was it was really great. You know, we designed the magazine from scratch, which was really exciting. We designed a new font, you know, a few things that hadn't been done for, for quite a while. And so it just felt it was really exciting and amazing to to be able to do that, actually. And I think, you know, we took some risks with it, with the with the covers that we did, you know, in my time there, we put Stormzy on the cover. We did um, a September issue dedicated to sustainability, which was really hadn't ever been done on a women's glossy before for a September issue. So I felt like we made, we, I wanted to make it feel very brave and bold. And hopefully I think that we achieved that. So of course, from a reader perspective, it's creative and you're getting this beautiful publication, wonderfully curated. But as an editor-in-chief, you have to think of the commercial aspect as well. Absolutely. How do you balance that effectively? Um, you know, I think it's difficult. But I think these days, you know, I think art and commerce, as it were, you know, they're, they're incredibly intertwined, you know, certainly within publishing. I think my grounding as a fashion director really helped with that because I was very used to dealing with the brands and knowing how those relationships worked. And, you know, to be... 
a good editor these days, you absolutely need to have a business head as well. You know, it can't be just about creating pretty images and great features. You, you absolutely have to have both because you're not going to have a title otherwise, you know, because you need you need to have the commerce around it in order for it to work. And I learned a lot as well. I learned a lot about business in the time I was there. You know, it really grew me as well and, you know, taught me especially the importance of personal relationships in business because I think that is um, it, it's so key to to take those relationships and grow, grow with those partners, and you have to really develop those over time, and that doesn't happen overnight. But I think it's really crucial to have both now. Very important. I think it's very very good for people to know that from the beginning that you need to understand how the business works as well. So you were the first editor of a luxury glossy magazine to dedicate its September fashion issue to the topic of sustainability. Now, this is a really big, bold move. Tell us about that. And how can publications generally better promote and drive a more sustainable fashion industry? Very good question again. I mean, I think, yes, if I was to sort of name the one key moment in my time as editor, without a doubt, it would have been creating the September issue dedicated to sustainability. I mean, the I wanted to do something around sustainability and I felt I should as well. I didn't, I wasn't particularly educated on it. I'll be really honest. I, I felt like I needed to find out more. And an um, associate of mine, Emily Ackerbrandt, who was at YSL and now works in sustainability, uh, introduced me to Marie-Claire Davo, who is the chief sustainability officer at Karen. And we had a meeting arranged in Paris and it really was a light bulb moment for me. It was one of those moments I, I sort of went in thinking one thing, thinking, you know, we'll do a June issue or something, you know, we'll do one of the smaller issues. I'm so interested in what she has to say. And an hour later, walked out of the building thinking, oh, goodness, I really have to go big on this. And it, it was a really, without sounding cheesy, it felt like a really life-changing moment because so many of the things she said really resonated and the way she explained them it was so clear to me that fashion needed to do more. We we have to, there, there is no choice now. And so, yeah, as I said, it was a really light bulb moment. And as I was putting the issue together, you know, we had incredible people writing for us. Uh, Donna Thomas wrote an amazing feature. We had a lot of research and a lot of input from different people. I really learned a huge amount actually making the issue. And I couldn't really go back afterwards. I couldn't really unknow all the stuff that I'd learned. And I think it really did shift how how I started looking at fashion. And certainly not that I didn't love fashion any less because I, I love fashion, you know, and I always have, and it will always be a huge part of my my work and and, and, and my identity actually. But I but I knew it was a realization, I suppose, that things need to change and I wanted to be part of that conversation and I wanted to have an active I wanted to actively participate in in that what can publications do better to drive the sustainability in the fashion industry I think you know I will say I think there's a lot lot more conversations around it now I think a lot more editors are talking about it you know from anything from buy less letter to the huge rise in rental in the last couple of years you know I don't think anyone would have really dreamt you'd go 
you might go and rent a dress for a wedding or something, but the idea that you could actually go and rent your wardrobe or rent a bag or the same with pre-loved, you know, I think now there's such a huge interest in 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 buying pre-loved as opposed to new. So I think, you know, from that side of things, I definitely think there's a realisation in the media that people actually really want to know this as well, right? Consumers and readers really want to understand how they can shop better, how they can make good choices. But I think the other thing is, you know, obviously there's a huge amount of responsibility that comes from the industry as well, and that needs to change as well. You know, that needs to, um, you know, from overproduction to the supply chain to how things are made to the mindset that people need to keep buying new clothes and fast fashion. You know, it's a huge, huge issue, and I just think that that I genuinely think consumers now really really want to be involved in this and really do want to consume differently and I think there is a responsibility for for the media to um tell those stories and and show people how they can do it you know and that's something I feel very strongly about thus the launch of calendar magazine which takes me very swiftly onto my next question (laughs) hence that responsibility in the media tell us about your latest project the calendar magazine so, you know, it very much grew out of out of the, the conversation we were just having that, that you know, I, I left my left my position at L and just thought I really want to to find a way to be able to spread this sustainability message to perhaps approach fashion in a different way myself, you know, to to be more responsible, to really think about this issue. And it's something I feel passionately about. And, you know, I'm not a scientist, you know, I'm not, um, you know, I had to, had to look to my strengths and I'm an editor and I'm a creator. So for me, I, you know, I thought, well, I want to make a space that feels like a glossy, um, you know, that's very aspirational, very joyful, very playful. And it's driving people to change through, through joy rather than through guilt. I think that's, the main point of difference I suppose that I wanted it to feel like a really joyful space but everything we feature everything we talk about will always have a sustainable angle whether it is something pre-loved whether it's circular fashion whether it's buying the right pieces or looking at rentals so or and any designer we feature and there'll always be some kind of sustainable angle that we're talking about so it's quite simple really and we're also um, right across beauty and travel as well so really we're just presenting all the beautiful stories all the beautiful things that are out there all the designers who do incredible things but there has to be a sustainable hook in there for for calendar which I guess is what sets it apart from the regular fashion glossies that we're, we're we're very much talking about it with every every single story that we present. So where did the name come from? The name, gosh, I mean that took a while actually. But um, what I and I think I, I had a sabbatical actually after L, which had been really the first proper time I'd have had off in almost three decades, I guess. So it was a really pivotal moment for me being able to have that time and slow down a bit and really think about what I wanted to do next and I think it was the headspace I was in now the idea of wanting to be more in the now and the idea of living more 
in the seasons, I guess, you know, just more connected to the world around me. I was suddenly getting that feeling and I just sensed that feeling was in the zeitgeist as well, that people really want to connect more now and disconnect, as it were, from tech and just just really be more mindful and less looking forward. You know, calendar is like you look at the calendar and that's the date that you're in. So it's calendar being the now. So it's very much about being in the moment and, and being present in the moment and being able to then apply that to how you shop and how you live. Well, if the last year has taught us anything, it's certainly to live in the now. So that is incredibly apt. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> we talked briefly earlier about um, the publishing industry being so different years ago compared to now and the difference between print and digital. Do you think print still has an enduring value? And I mean, would you consider expanding calendars offering to including print? Oh, I think I think print still does have an enormous value and I would not want to see print disappear. I think that would be a tragedy, actually, because I do think print offers something that you can't get from digital. I still buy magazines, um, probably not as much as I did. I'm more careful about the ones that I buy. But I think when you when you have something in print, you know, there is that collectability to it and there's that specialness. Um but I think for me, um, it was important for Calendar, first of all, to get the message out where people were. And obviously, we know everybody is in Instagram now. And I think, you know, anything that's anything that would be published now, really, you would go to Instagram first because that's where your audience is. So the idea is we launched on Instagram, soft launch. Our website will be up next week, I hope. That's the plan. I mean, I think out of that, we may, um, we're definitely looking at the idea of some kind of print publication, but I think it will look very different. I think it will be something more collectible. To me, that's the print that is going to endure, is the print that has a purpose, whether that's a purpose in the theme of it, whether that's an incredible interiors magazine or an incredible fashion magazine, but something that you can then pick up in a year or two's time like my old Vogue's, um, and look at it and it still has a relevance and it's something you want to keep. To me, I think that's the print that that truly should have longevity. And, um, you know, I think it will. I think it's going through a huge time of transition at the moment. But, you know, I think going back to when I started, you know, there were very few magazines really, comparatively speaking, but they were all really, really good. And I think it's perhaps just going back to that, that it's about quality over quantity. But I hope print still sticks around. I really do. Well, certainly with your sustainable angle and print with a purpose seems spot on. So I definitely I look forward to seeing the website going live, the magazine, and then eventually your collectible printed <laughs> titles. So that would be fantastic. My final question for you. What do you think is the future of publishing? I think obviously digital isn't going to go away. It's here to stay. I, I hope to see more responsibility around the d digital world, as I think we all do. I think there's been some very scary headlines, certainly recently, around the responsibility of digital and the internet to really, um, uh, you know, we need to look at mental health around it and we need to look at wellness, particularly in teenagers and children 
Um, so I would like to think in that way that publishing can evolve to incorporate that within its messaging. But again, as I said, you know, I think the idea of beautiful print is also very much part of that story as well. And creativity, really, I think we are all craving creativity at the moment. You know, I think there's a lot of homogenous content around. You know, you can see the same content on 10 different websites. I love the idea of publishing becoming more curated and really speaking to their audiences and feeling feeling like something with a purpose, not to use that word again. But I think that's a really important word. And also just to just to have that creativity around it as well. I think that's what feeds people, you know, it's, it's good for good for people. It's good for your soul, you know, and I think that's not to sound too esoterical, but that's I'd like to see more of that in publishing, definitely. And we thank you so much. I think purpose is actually what does feed people. Um, so it's certainly integral to how we live right now. Thank you so much for sharing your journey with us. Where can we follow you on social media? Where can we follow the calendar magazine on social media? We're very excited to see it. Okay, well, thank you very much. That was wonderful speaking to you, Sheena. So you can follow me on my Instagram at A underscore M underscore C. You can follow the calendar magazine on Instagram at the calendar magazine and our new website, which you can sign up to. So please do is www.thecalendarmagazine.com launching next week, we hope. It will. And huge congratulations. And thank you so much. Thank you so much. It's wonderful speaking to you. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, please do rate and review us and make sure to check out season one, season two, and episode one and two of season three. Catch you next time.